If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 19. We'll look at the first 12 verses there. Text is also there on the next page of the bulletin. If you follow along that way. Uh, In this passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is talking about gender and sexuality and marriage and singleness. (laughs) All very fun subjects to discuss in public completely without controversy. Uh, Actually, I think it's, uh, it's always been difficult to talk about these things in light of our relationship with God in light of what he says to us in the scriptures. It's always difficult. Even, uh, it's, it's even difficult for very religious people. That's who the Pharisees are. Even difficult for very religious people and those who follow Jesus. Those are the folks who have a hard time with what Jesus is saying here. So <clears throat> Jesus himself acknowledges this is a hard subject for us. This is hard for us to accept. So that's okay. It's okay to admit this stuff is difficult. For us, uh, Jesus is not afraid to address difficult subjects like this. When Jesus addresses something, uh, it's because he is faithful to his Father. It's because he loves us and wants what is good for us. So let's pray that we can believe that and keep that in mind as we get into this passage. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, through your scriptures, and especially through your Son, You have spoken definitively for our relationship with you. So we pray that you would help us by your spirit to receive your word with faith and uh, to be changed by your word, to be renewed in your image and in the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So here Jesus is uh, beginning 
as you see in the first verse, uh, beginning to make his move toward Jerusalem, actually. So he's leaving the region of Galilee up north. He's entering Judea in the south, but he's coming from the east. He's coming from beyond the River Jordan. So he is heading into the promised land uh, to do battle, leading the crowds of God's people like one who was called Joshua uh, long before him. But his battle is not against the inhabitants of the land, right? Canaanites and Amorites and Philistines. His battle is against death itself and against the spiritual forces of darkness. His battle is against the brokenness and sickness of the world, against the unbelief of his own people. His battle is against the religious leaders who distorted the scriptures and made themselves his enemies. So the Son of God came into the world to do battle. He came into the world to oppose many things because he is good. Jesus opposes sin, and he opposes sickness, and he opposes the ruination of our humanity, which is expressed here. This goodness is expressed here in the simple fact that he healed those who followed him. He is good, he wants good for us, and he does good to us. He does good for us. Uh, But we have a hard time accepting what Jesus says and does, uh, especially when it seems contrary to what we wanted for ourselves. So you got the Pharisees here sort of representing people who feel like Jesus offers something contrary to what we wanted. (laughs) Jesus, you know, they've tested Jesus many times because they oppose Jesus. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's doing. They didn't like the implications of him identifying with God and representing God. Uh, The implications exposed them as living in ways that were not godlike. They didn't like that exposure. The presence of the good God in the flesh reveals and exposes our not-so-goodness, right? So here the Pharisees make the mistake of um, going toe-to-toe with Jesus on a matter of biblical interpretation. It's never a good idea to oppose Jesus. Uh, happens all the time. Not a great plan, right? They ask, is it lawful to, div- to divorce one's wife for any cause? Lawful. Biblical. Biblical law is what they mean. <clears throat> so this was a divisive subject, divorce and, and remarriage. Uh, it was a big debate among the very religious people. And they suspect that basically anything Jesus says will get them into trouble, will, will get him into trouble with some faction or another or all of them, right? Uh, what kind of impulse is behind wanting to get Jesus in trouble? They want to get him in trouble. That's why they test him. They test him, looking to trap him in his words. What kind of impulse is it that makes you want to do that? What does it say about the Pharisees, about the very religious people? Think about that. Uh, Regarding the debate over marriage and divorce, you know, there were several schools of thought. So there's this excerpt from the Mishnah, which was a collection of Jewish oral traditions. uh, Probably, I think, the earliest collection of Jewish oral traditions that we have. And uh, it says this, this, it's talking about the different schools of thought on this subject. It says, the school of Shammai says, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. The school of Hillel says he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. And Rabbi Akiba says he may divorce her even if he found another fairer than she. Uh, fundamentally, you know, they're disagreeing about the details of divorce and remarriage and all that. 
but fundamentally, the religious people essentially agreed that a man had authority to divorce his wife. The debate was just over the boundaries, the, the legal limits of that authority, right? So they sought to bring Jesus into this debate, uh, this debate on their terms in order to trip him up because they opposed him. Their opposition ran deep, and eventually we know they would oppose Jesus so far as to have him murdered. But Jesus goes on here to expose the true significance of their opposition. Yes, they're opposed to him. Really, they're opposed to the good God and to his good word. Even though they're very religious people, claiming to be good, claiming to be interested in keeping God's word. So he answers, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here Jesus is doing what the word of God was always meant to do. He's connecting our life to God. He's connecting the way we live to God. He's connecting the way we live in relationship with others to our relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, this is how it is. Our life is connected to God. We do relate to others. And it says something about our relationship with God. That's how it is. It's not some ideal to strive for if you're religious enough. The reality is that how we relate to each other reflects how we relate to God. If you are married, the way you relate to your spouse is connected with how you relate to God. You're meant to live with reference to God, with regard to the God who created you and who established marriage and who tells you what it means to be married in the first place. You're meant to be thankful to God for his gift of marriage. You're meant to be content with this gift. You're meant to be faithful to him as you live in your marriage, which means accepting God's definition of your marriage. So Jesus goes all the way back to the origins of humanity and God's purpose in the institution of marriage. He says, have you not read? He asks those who opposed him. God has revealed these things to us in the scriptures for our careful, thoughtful, prayerful attention. Have you not read? Well, of course, the very religious people would have read this. Actually, they would have had this memorized. They would know this by heart. But did they truly reflect on what God was saying here in order to embrace it and abide in it? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So one of the first things that God says about human beings One of the most fundamental aspects of our humanity is that God created us in two sexes. This is, of course, a very controversial subject in our time and place. Uh, Many people reject the simple, material, observable reality of being created male or female. The scriptures plainly teach that God created us male and female. We are meant to think of our gender and our sexuality in relationship to God with reference to what our creator has said what he's revealed about these things. We're meant to receive the gift of ourselves from the God who made us. 
We're meant to receive the word of the God who tells us that he made us, who tells us the significance of our lives, including very importantly, our sexuality, right? We're meant to connect this part of our lives to God. But we often reject what is given by God. We reject what is said by God. That's just the reality. I'm not trying to pick a fight. That's, that's just stating a fact. We reject God's gift and God's word. We've got to think about what that means. What does it mean when Jesus reveals God to be good? When Jesus reveals God to want what is good for us? When Jesus reveals God to do what is good for us? Rejecting God means rejecting goodness. What does that say about us? You might not like what it says. Neither did the Pharisees. The very religious people opposed Jesus because he was always exposing their not-so-goodness. Jesus continues and says that the one who created us said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a lot of things we can say about that. We're not going to cover everything. First, briefly, let me just point out that when you're reading Genesis 2, if you go back and read, you know, as we did with our Old Testament reading uh, Kevin read, uh, Genesis 2, 24, you're reading that, that verse that's quoted here. It's the author of the text who says that part. It's the author of Genesis. Genesis 2, 24 does not have quotation marks that indicate now God is speaking. It's, it's the narrator who says what, what Jesus here attributes to God saying. Right? Uh, we'd normally understand these to be the words of Moses as the author, but Jesus understands all the words of scriptures, all the scriptures to be God speaking. All the scriptures to be God's word. Even when there's not quotation marks and direct attribution there. <clears throat> so, so what we have in Genesis 2.24, which is what Jesus is quoting here, is divine interpretation of marriage. It's not just Moses' idea. It's not just the idea of men. Divine interpretation of marriage. It is the God who created us, male and female, who established the union of a man and a woman in marriage, who discloses to us the true nature of marriage. Uh, probably worth our careful, thoughtful, prayerful attention. Marriage is not a concession to a fallen, broken, sinful humanity. The institution of marriage came at the very beginning, and it's part of our Creator's good, original purpose for humanity. Marriage is about the union of two who are simultaneously like and unlike each other. Marriage is between a man and a woman because it is not about loving a mirror image of yourself. It's about loving someone who is deeply other, someone who is also a human being. Wrap your mind around this, but a human being in a very different way from you. <clears throat> Marriage is not about self-fulfillment or self-satisfaction. It's about mutual self-gift as a reflection of God's own love. Marriage is me meant to reflect the triune God's creative power of love as persons united in love bring forth other persons for love's sake. Uh, there are a lot of good things we could say about marriage, but the point here is that God is the one who established it. God's the one who has purposes for it, who tells us about it so that we can live in our marriages with reference to him. 
So this, this passage is not about gender and sexuality and uh, marriage and singleness abstractly in and of themselves so you can just know what's right and what's wrong. Jesus is talking about sexuality and marriage and singleness with reference to God. He's bringing these things into our relationship with God. He's saying that how we relate to each other in our marriages reflects how we relate to God. We're meant to receive the gift of marriage from the God who gave it. We're meant to receive the word of God who tells us about this marriage, the nature of it and the meaning of it. We just reject that. We, re- we reject marriage on God's terms. We prefer our own terms. That's what sinners do, right? We seek to live all of life on our own terms rather than on God's terms. We would all like to be God for ourselves. And we have this strange notion that being like God means living life on our own terms. If we seek to live in marriage on our own terms... Uh, well, it's often going to result in divorce, which is absolutely contrary to the gift that God has given us in marriage. Because the triune God of love, the God of union, gave us marriage to reflect divine union. But rather than lean into that union with reference to the God of union, sinners tend to pull apart from one another to put ourselves on trajectories that would ultimately end marriages. Jesus tells us that divorce is not good, that we have no authority to end our marriages, no authority to reject the gift of union that God has given us. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You cannot separate what God has joined together without it involving an act of rebellion against God. Uh, Divorce is always the result of sin, always a violation of relationship with God. Divorce always involves a rupture of a union that God has established. The only way to end a marriage in divorce is when one or the other spouse or both sins against God and disregards his word. Human beings simply do not have authority to reject the word of their creator and end a marriage and divorce. The desire to have such authority reveals our opposition to God. So Jesus' opponents here, the very religious people, want to pretend that they did not oppose God. But they wanted to know the legal limits to a man's authority to divorce his wife. So rather than receive the gift of God... They wanted to explore the limits, explore the boundaries of rejecting that gift. Basically, the Pharisees wanted the authority to sin. They, they wanted to justify their own rejection of God, and they tried even to appeal to God's word to do it. That's out of touch with reality. Uh, that's some crazy, convoluted thinking. So they said to Jesus, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So the Pharisees, uh, you know, when they're asking Jesus about this, they're talking about Deuteronomy 24, which was originally given to protect a divorced woman from exploitation. 
Uh, But the Pharisees, the very religious people, were looking to use this passage as justification for their doctrines of divorce. Jesus points out that Moses was not authorizing divorce. He was not commanding divorce as if it were God's will, God's commandment. Divorce is never God's will. God hates divorce. He's not leading you into it. He literally says he hates divorce in Malachi chapter 2. He says a man who divorces commits violence because he's rending apart what the God of union has joined together. How could the God of union command or approve the violent rupture of marriage? His nature is one of union. Divorce is antithetical to that. Divorce is allowed. It's allowed by the scriptures because of sin. Because we are hard-hearted and we're the kind of people who make marriage impossible. But that is precisely the opposite of God's original intention in our creation and the establishment of marriage. If only we would just receive the gift that God has given. If we would just receive the word that he's spoken. If only we'd live with reference to the good God who wants good for us. But we don't. So God leaves room for divorce. In the case where your spouse has ruptured the relationship through sexual immorality, basically that means infidelity, then you are free to consider that relationship over already rent asunder violently by them. In that case, in that painful and miserable case, you are free to divorce and remarry. In any other case, you would be the one rejecting God's gift and God's word. You would be the one rupturing the marriage. So divorce is always the result of sin. It's never the result of two people faithfully receiving the gift of God, faithfully living with reference to the word of God. It's not a good solution. Divorce is not a good solution. It's not a pathway to a better life. It's a terrible mercy for sinners who cannot love like God loves. And if you have a difficult time accepting that, you are not alone. The Pharisees probably didn't like it much either. And even the disciples had a hard time with it. They say to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry So this is not one of their finer moments. Uh, Come to think of it, they don't really have too many finer moments (laughs) in the Gospels. Uh, Basically, they're complaining to Jesus, your word is too hard, we don't like it. It's too hard to accept the gift of God, to accept the word of God. It's too hard to live with reference to God in our relationship with God. Better not to marry, better not to accept, accept that gift at all in the first place, right? Sinners are not interested in the kind of union of love that God is talking about, that Jesus is talking about. Sinners are not interested in life on God's terms, according to his word. Sinners are always finding the scriptures difficult, always finding the words of Jesus too difficult to receive. Uh, We confess that. It's okay to confess that. Jesus knows it about us. He said to his disciples, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been been eunuchs from birth. There are eunuchs who have made them uh, been made eunuchs by men, and there's eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So they say, "Yeah, no, uh, we don't like the whole idea of marriage. If what you're talking about is true, living that way is impossible. Uh, better to be single, right?" Jesus says, "Yeah, being single is good. 
Not as a rejection of God's gift of marriage. Not in bitter resentment of God for having cursed us with singleness. But as receiving a different gift. Receiving a different calling. Receiving a different way of relating to God in life. Jesus was single. Paul was single. If the good God has called you to singleness for the sake of his kingdom, it is good. That is just about as hard for single people to accept as God's word about marriage and divorce is for married people to accept. This whole thing is about receiving God's good gift and his good word. By definition, that's something we don't do. Sinners reject the gift of God, reject the word of God, whether you're talking about gender, sexuality, marriage, singleness, a whole host of other aspects of life under God's word. Sinners reject God as their creator, reject their own createdness, reject the gift of their very selves and the others around them. Sinners reject life on God's terms, reject life in relationship with God, Uh, reject life with reference to the God who has spoken. We reject what is good so that we can do life on our own terms. Even the most religious people do that. Even Jesus' own disciples do that. Jesus knows that about us, and he did not abandon us for it. Jesus himself is the great gift of God given to sinners. Jesus himself is the very word of God incarnate, come to make God known for a relationship with him, come to connect our lives to God in every way. When he came, he knew that we would not receive him. But he came anyway. He gave himself to us, gave himself for us, and we rejected him all the way to the cross. But he took on our humanity in order to atone for our rejection of the good God and his gifts and his word. The first thing that defines us as God's creatures is that we stand as those who receive. We receive life and breath and everything. We receive our very selves as God's gift. We receive his word so that we can live all of life in relationship with him. Where we, as sinners, as sinners have not received what is given, Jesus came to stand in our place as the true human to receive the good God and his good gifts and his good word. All on our behalf. Where we rejected, Jesus received. Jesus is the true bridegroom. Married to a faithless bride. Who, he's received this bride. He's pledged himself to an everlasting union with the church. Who, he's remained faithful even as we committed spiritual, spiritual adultery in our sin. He has done this. He's the faithful bridegroom, all with reference to God, his Father. Jesus came to live as one of us, as our representative, to live in relationship with God, not just for himself, but for us. He came not only as the true bridegroom, married to the church in a sense, but as the true eunuch, Devoted to the kingdom of heaven. In his life on earth, he was unmarried, he was single, he was without children. He received that gift from God. He lived the life of a faithful, single person with reference to God the Father. Where we've rejected everything given to us, 
Jesus has received the gifts of his own created humanity, his own gender, his own sexuality, his own spiritual marriage and union with the church, his own singleness. He's received all those gifts that we rejected. Jesus has received the word of God as definitive of his entire life and has lived every part of his human life in relationship with God. Where we had that strange notion that being godlike meant living life on our own terms. The Son of God shows us that being, being godlike truly means living with gratitude and contentment and faithfulness, living with reference to the Father, always living in relationship with God. Jesus has had the only good response to the good God, and he's had that response to God on our behalf. And he invites us to join him in responding to the good God with his response, with his own spirit of thanksgiving and contentment and faithfulness. That's how the healer restores our humanity in, in, in God's image. This is the divine privilege that's granted to sinners through faith in Christ. We are welcome to enter into the Son's relationship with the Father to receive the gifts of ourselves in Christ, to receive the good word of God as good in Christ, to receive all our relationships, our marriages, our singleness in Christ, to participate in the life of the Son of God wherever God has placed us. Even though we're sinners, in Christ, we are granted the gift, the privilege of truly becoming like God, becoming like the Son as we live in relationship with the Father. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 that the great mystery of marriage is that it's about Christ and the church. Married believers reflect the glory of Christ and the church in their union of mutual self-gift with reference to God. Single believers testify to the glory of Jesus just as much, if not more directly, by their thanksgiving and their contentment and their gift of themselves to Christ for the sake of his kingdom, to his church. Paul says in another place, 1 Corinthians 7, each has his own gift from God. He's talking about marriage and singleness. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Each one receives what's given through faith in Christ because we believe that Jesus is the true healer of our humanity. We believe that Jesus opens his life with God to us and he shares it with us. We believe that Jesus is good and he wants good for us and he does good for us. That does not make being a created male or female easy. It does not make marriage easy. It does not make singleness easy. The Son of God himself didn't have an easy time of it either. But he shows that it is godlike. It is divine to receive these gifts from God, as difficult as it may be to receive those gifts from God. Jesus reunites us to the God of union, and he brings our gender and our sexuality and our marriages and our singleness, all of our relationships, he brings into our relationship with God. And that's the greatest gift. That's the most gracious gift. So receive the gift of relating to God in all of life through Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great gift and the true word of God. If we cannot see and embrace the goodness of God in you, then we are utterly lost. You have healed our humanity in your own relationship with God. We pray that you would give us the gift of your own humanity restored through the gift of your spirit so that we might receive the gift and revelation of your life with God for us. Help us to know the divine glory of connecting our lives with God in every way. We pray in your name. Amen.